It's the first Prez Monday check-in. We'll have a chat, but not spill tea. Hey, it's the first Prez Monday check-in. We got the Bible and Greg and me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the Monday check-in. I am Damon Jensen Heitman, one of the pastors of First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska. Glad to be here with you today. Yeah. This is the... We didn't really talk about this before we started recording edition of the Monday check-in. It is also the one week behind in the lectionary Monday check-in edition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was the passage we're going to read actually fell last week, uh, but... I stole it. I told Damon that I would like to preach on it, and since I wasn't preaching last week, Damon let me have this one, and he picked a different passage to preach on last week for our high school senior recognition Sunday. I did. It's true. All those things happened. Mm-hmm. But you were saying you didn't want to go by the lectionary anymore. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna tell him that now. You were thinking about possibly not going by the lectionary anymore. I'm thinking about switching to a different lectionary. Starting in Advent. Because during the summer, we don't get a lot of attention to the lectionary. Sometimes, yes, but... Correct. Most of the time, summer, we go off lectionary. But um, the lectionary, for most of you, I think you know this, is a three-year cycle of readings uh, of the Bible. And I have just completed six years of ministry here at First Presbyterian Church, which means that I have preached through the lectionary cycle uh, twice. And also, Damon and I started this Monday check-in in March of 2020, and it's now April of 2023, which means we've done the Monday check-in a full lectionary cycle. We've gone through an entire lectionary cycle with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking and dreaming and scheming about uh, the possibility of uh, doing a different set of readings for the church. And uh, the revised common lectionary is what we follow, and it's, it's uh, something that was set up by the National Council of Churches and something that a lot of mainline Protestant churches follow. Your Methodists, your Presbyterians, your Lutherans, uh, some Baptists, uh, Episcopalians, and on. And it, it very closely mirrors the lectionary of the Roman Catholic Church as well. But there's a different set of readings that is called the Narrative Lectionary. It's on a four-year cycle. Okay. And it actually reads through the Bible in a narrative form. So it follows the storylines of the Bible. Uh, whereas the, the Revised okay. Common Lectionary jumps around a bit. It'll, so you might spend five weeks with Jacob? Yep, Okay. exactly. And so uh, I am considering perhaps switching to the Narrative Lectionary uh, and starting that in Advent of 2023 um, and then that would put our church, assuming we follow it and people like it and I stick with it, on a four-year cycle to read through the Bible using the narrative lectionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose one, ob- maybe not obvious, one appeal of that is it might help you to get more of a sense of any particular passage within its context mm-hmm. a little bit better than... The common lectionary is really set up to help you find similar themes in different parts of the Bible. 
Correct. Right? Because we have this is the gospel text. And here's a psalm that maybe some of the language kind of mirrors it. Mm-hmm. Here's an Older mm-hmm. Testament. Here's an epistle reading. Um, so it's really kind of set up to help you identify themes throughout the ent- throughout the entirety of the of the biblical scriptures. Right. Whereas the way that you're describing a narr- the narrative lectionary, it would be more set up to sort of help you understand scriptures in their context. Right, as bit. part of a narrative or story arc. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we're, uh, I'm thinking about that. I posited the idea to Damon a couple weeks ago and we're mulling it over. I have the opportunity to go to a conference in November where I would be uh, sort of introduced and sort of oriented to the narrative lectionary, and that would allow me to perhaps... November is practically Advent. Right. Right. So that's that's where I need to make a decision sooner than that because I also need to get my scriptures to, um, to the rest of the church, particularly our music department and our Christian ed department, to make sure that we're all lining everything up. Mm-hmm. In the fall and uh, spring, yeah. in, in as much as we can. In as much as we can. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and one of the challenges with switching to narrative lectionary is there just aren't as many resources. So currently, the Christian Ed curriculum we use follows the Revised Common Lectionary. So generally speaking, whatever Damon and I are preaching on is the same thing that the kids are learning in Sunday school and Wednesday night. Um, and because the narrative lectionary is newer and is not as popular. It's not like there are whole Christian ed curriculums written around the narrative lectionary that I know of. I'm, I'm going to do some research and find out about that. How new is it? The narrative lectionary? Yeah. I don't know. Because the revised common lectionary was only, they only came up with that and it was like 95 or something. Well, yeah, so the Catholics came up with it in the 60s and we started experimenting with it in the 70s and in the 80s is when a committee was put together and it was officially, the first version of it was formalized in the early 80s and then it was officially formalized in the early 90s. So I'm going to pull out my pocket computer. It's not as though it's been around for all time. Then the revised common lecture, no, no. It's definitely, yeah. And assuming that this other one is earlier. It's just, you know, every once in a while, kind of the whole church kind of decides... Maybe let's try something else. Yeah. <laughs> right. For a while. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find a quick history of... And all of it is just a different way of getting into the Bible. Right. I mean, exactly. I mean, a, a, a church could just... Yeah, we're going to start in Genesis. We're going to read all the way through it. And actually, the, the narrative lectionary more follows that format, which used to be how preaching and Bible reading was done in the church, dating all the way back to the early church, where it, you would read through a book of the Bible and then read through the next book of the Bible, and the pastor would preach on that. Right. And because that kind of makes sense. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if we think about how the canon was put together, it kind of makes sense. And then in some ways it doesn't always make sense. Well, if you were going to study any book, right, you would read through it. That's fair. <laughs> and you would say, today we're going to study chapter one. 
And next week we're going to study chapter two. And the week after that we're going to study chapter three. Yeah. Right? But at any rate. So uh, the narrative lectionary was started in 2010 and continues to gain a following. And then to the question, why create this lectionary? This is, this is their answer. Though the revised common lectionary has united the church in its reading of scripture and has given much needed structure, it doesn't present scripture, especially the Old Testament, in a way that helps people to become fluent in the language of faith. The narrative lectionary is an attempt to take nine months to do that over, you do mm-hmm. nine months cycles sure. over four years. Because the narrative lectionary also takes summers off. So, mm. anyways. No Bible in the summers. Well, no. Oh, oh we'll still do Bibles in the summers? <laughs> All right. Now that y'all are bored because we... Uh, Everybody's too busy at the lake to read the Bible during the summer. <laughs> Can't do that it. Sounds like something a pastor from Minnesota would say. <laughs> or Wisconsin. Are, are Wisconsin the lake people too? I think so, yeah. But not as much. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't live in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, lakes there. Wisconsin's the land of... No, Minnesota's the land of 10,000 lakes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of lakes. There's, yeah, it depends on how you count. Right? But Have you tried to count? So there's an interesting... So a friend of mine lives in Wisconsin. Okay. And there's... Uh, there's a rivalry between the between the two states, and there's some sort of debate as to which of these states has more lakes. Yeah. I was not aware of there being an upper Midwest rivalry. Go on. Um, part of the reason, um, I, I think Minnesota claims more lakes. My friend from Wisconsin says the reason that they are able to claim more lakes is because they have a lower standard for what counts as a lake like in terms of like area okay like they're they're counting bodies of water that take up less area as lakes than what the state of wisconsin okay is willing to call a lake this is a funny conversation because it relates to a conversation my wife and i had okay She's from the Pacific Northwest where there's no shortage of water because of the amount of rain they have. Mm-hmm. I'm from Arizona, which is a relatively dry state. And right. so I have a much lower threshold of what constitutes a lake sure. than she does being from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Like one summer, I was a canoeing instructor at a scout camp. And um, I sent her a picture of the, the lake, lake <laughs> where we canoed. Mm-hmm. And she scoffed at me. And she said, that is a pond, Greg. That does not qualify as a lake. (laughs) I'm like, I have a dozen canoes out there, and they're not playing bumper boats. I mean, there's enough room for a dozen canoes to learn Mm -hmm. how to navigate and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Why are we criticizing my definition of a lake? So then she started referring to it as the plake, the pond lake, the plake. Um, So it sounds to me like the Minnesota-Wisconsin rivalry may also be related to a certain rivalry about bodies of water in my own household and marriage. It could, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would side with the Minnesotans. I would have a lower standard for what constitutes a sure. lake. Just, you know, yeah, because of the context within which you grew up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which then that gets us back to the, to the narrative lectionary right? and the importance of understanding context. That was a really good bridge. Where, good segue, man. Right? And where scripture falls in, like, within the rest of it 
it makes a difference in it how does. you read it. And it also relates to what we're going to talk about today because this delightful conversation that you are sharing with us, uh, loyal listeners, is also a playful conversation about the definition and threshold of a lake. And we're going to talk a little bit about playfulness today too. So that's a good, another good segue into uh, the Luke passage that Pastor Damon's going to read for you now. I would do that now, but we need to have an opening prayer. Indeed we do. Thank you for remembering. I think it's your turn. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, who made lakes and ponds and every body of water. Thank you for your creation and the way that it gives us things to talk about, but also the way that it reflects your love and your provision for us. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us to study your holy word and the call that it places on our lives. May this Monday check-in be one that does, in fact, uh, prick our conscience and make us think about who we are, and what we're called to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for this coming Sunday, we will be taking a look at, it's uh, it's a resurrection appearance, a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Uh, it reads something like this. Now on that same day, two of them, them being uh, the disciples or folks who were following Jesus uh, when he entered into Jerusalem. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us what they had in, that they had indeed seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at, their ta when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's it. Greg, what do you got? I, um, I've read this differently than I have in previous years, and I'm going to experiment with this, uh, both in our Monday check-in and assuming it goes well with the sermon, but, um, there's almost a, a, a playfulness of Jesus here that I want to explore. Mm-hmm. And there are actually other scriptures where I think Jesus shows this playful side, uh, but I see a playfulness here, right? So these two disciples are walking along the road uh, to Emmaus and they're hanging their heads down and they're sad and uh, for good reason, mm-hmm. right? Jesus has been crucified and now the body is missing and they're just walking and Jesus walks up to them. And he's like, hey guys, what's going on? And they're like, why aren't you sad? Sad about what? And he gets them to tell him the story, but keeps himself hidden from them. And I almost see this sort of playfulness. And, and he's maybe there's a little testing of them a little bit, but but a but a playfulness here, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then he goes on to sort of remind them of the, the Old Testament stories about the Messiah and beginning with Moses and the prophets and interprets them and uses this as a teaching moment. And then the crux of the story, too, that I just love is that um, they get to where the two disciples were going and Jesus pretends like he's going to walk on, but they say, or maybe not pretends, I mean, he walked <laughs> ahead of them as if he were going on. Yeah. And then they... They actually do what Jesus taught them to do, which was show hospitality to a stranger. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, stay with us, because it's almost evening, the day is now over. And they urge him strongly, we read. Yeah. So this really do this. And so he goes and he stays with them, and, and then he reenacts a shared meal together. And in that enactment of the shared meal, we read that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he vanishes. And then he vanishes from their sight. And is that part of the playfulness too? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I just, I'm struck by that uh, when I read through this. And, and, and it got me thinking about other instances, uh, both uh, pre-crucifixion in Jesus' ministry and then post-resurrection where, where he kind of does this, this, this playfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there certainly must be something there's something inviting about his presence mm-hmm. with them, right? Um, because they don't they don't recognize him. Right. They don't know who he is. This is a stranger who has approached them. Um, you know, three days before, folks uh, were rounding up folks. And, and putting them on crosses mm-hmm. or threatening to do so. Right. In the midst of all of that, Peter denies knowing Jesus. Right. Um, you know, the, 
the disciples, they all kind of scatter in part because of fear, mm-hmm. right? Of being associated with this person who was killed as a criminal. Right. Right. Um, and so the, when this stranger, you're walking back to wherever, <laughs> uh, and you're sad, and a stranger shows up and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And you've just come from this frightening, I would imagine, in some ways experience. But they launch into, oh, we're talking about this Jesus that was killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're sad about it. Uh, there must be a, some sort of a, a, a playfulness, some sort of in, invitiveness, invitivism about, about his presence there. That, that they open up to him. Yeah, that they're even willing to share that, that sort of stuff Yeah, with him. Right? Yeah, I, I love this. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And he asked them, what things? Right. Like, right. There's, there's like this, oh, tell me more. Mm-hmm. And in Luke's account, everybody, not everybody, but there's lots of strangers in town, mm-hmm. right? Because to celebrate the Passover. Passover. Yep. Right. So in that way, it, it, I suppose they themselves are probably strangers in town. If now they're they're going, if back. now they're headed, I assume they're headed back someplace. Yeah. You might, you know, the text doesn't tell us that, but right. we might assume that they are. And yeah, so there's yeah, there must be something about him that is safe. In some way. Yeah. Right? Safe enough for them to feel comfortable just opening up yeah. to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe in some way they, they perceive a, a, a playful disposition in him. Or at least a non-threatening disposition. Yeah. And the, the, right? the, the playful or non-threatening disposition, that's one of the things that I've talked with people about in the past is, um, you know, there's... Not in the New Testament, something that actually says that Jesus smiled or laughed, right? That, that Greek word doesn't appear in there. But what we do read is that children came running to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when we think about children, um, do they generally come running to people who are grumpy or dour or serious or stern all the time? Or do children generally come running to people who are joyful and playful mm-hmm. and smiling and laughing. Yeah. They go to them if they can tell that the, that the dower is an act. Right. 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 Uh, and there's a, uh, there's a way to do that. Yeah. And some people are really good at it. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes kids can tell, oh, that's just an act mm-hmm. that this person is, is putting on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no, generally, yeah, you go to the... Right. Even, like, adults do the same thing. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, that's I fair. I don't run up to it, but, you know, grumpy-looking people. 
That's fair. But in children in particular, yeah. and, and, and there's multiple instances in the Gospels where Jesus refers to the children or, or says, bring the children to me. His, there's one where his disciples are trying to keep the children from coming to him, and Jesus is like, stop that. Let them come to me. Because mm-hmm. um, so the children want to be around Jesus. They want to be in his presence. And so in that sense, I, I get the sense that there's a, there's a playfulness to him. And, and then some of his miracles that he performs are, uh, are a bit playful. I, I was thinking about the um, one that we don't talk about very often, but about paying the, the temple tax. And Peter's like, are you going to pay the two drachma temple tax? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, uh, here's what you do, Peter. Go down to the Sea of Galilee, drop a line in, pull a fish out, and the coin will be inside the fish's mouth. That's, that's a playful story, right? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> and if I ask Peter out, it's not super helpful. <laughs> <to me. laughs> I guess now I have a fish and two coins. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you got dinner and you can pay your temple tax. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, G- if Jesus is being playful here, then what, what difference does that make? Well, I, I think it's, it's starting to help the disciples realize the reality of the resurrection, but also the, the, the joy of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, right? This is, this is, yeah, we had a tough three days, no question. But, um, but something special happened, and you can rejoice in that. You can, you can get excited about that. Uh, and, and so one way to do that is to sort of, you know, and then I imagine Jesus disappearing from that room and the disciples like, I walked with us the whole time. We didn't recognize (laughs) And you almost read that, right? They say to each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he was talking on the road, while he was opening up the scriptures to us. And then what do they do? They get up and they run back to Jerusalem, right? They've just walked, uh, seven miles from Jerusalem and, and they get up back up in the middle of the night and they run back to Jerusalem to let the disciples know, Hey, he's risen. This mm-hmm. is exciting. This is joyful. This let's, let's celebrate this. Yeah. And they find the disciples having in the midst of having their own little celebration, mm-hmm. right? The disciples who that they're running back to are in the process of saying to one another, the Lord has risen. Indeed. He's appeared to Simon. Right. Right. So, so we're all having these little, these little joyous, Moments and experiences. Yeah, and that, of course, is a reference to uh, Easter morning. Mm-hmm. Um, if we just back up a few well, verses this is all here. same day. Right. This is all Easter morning. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we just back up a little bit in Scripture. And so Jesus is making these post-resurrection appearances and bringing joy back to the disciples through these post-resurrection appearances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, Jesus is definitely the character here that knows something that no one else knows. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's different ways that he could present that. Mm-hmm. And I, for the first time reading this passage, see this through a playful lens and and want to explore a little bit about that. What, you know, um, that our faith doesn't have to always be serious and dour. When, when we're called to rejoice, like joy is a fun and playful thing. And, and Jesus wants us to live lives of 
joy. Um, and so what if this is one example of Jesus teaching that? You know, the, the post-resurrection appearance in the Gospel of John, where the, the fishermen are coming in from a night of fishing and, and they have nothing. Right. And so Jesus is standing on the shore. He's like, hey, guys, cast your nets one more time on that side of the boat. Mm-hmm. And they do, and they bring in a haul of fish, and it's a very specific haul of fish, 170-something or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Peter's eyes are open, and he reckons, oh, that's Jesus. And he, we read that he dives out of the boat and swims to shore and embraces Jesus. And what has Jesus done? He's cooked them breakfast, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's brought some joy to them. Yeah. And everybody else just rows there and gets to the shore about the same time that he does. Well, it's because Peter's not a very good swimmer. Um, we're surmising. <laughs> but uh, but even that story, I think there's a, there's almost a playfulness to Jesus of, hey, guys, you know, let's remember there's joy here. Right? Cast your nets one more time, bring in that haul of fish, and let's have breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, he does call them fools. Well, yeah. And they're slow of heart. Well, he asked him, how slow of heart do you, does it take, how long does it take you to believe what all the prophets have declared? Come on, guys. You got this. I taught this to you. Mm-hmm. But let me teach it to you again. Mm-hmm. And he does. He meets them where, where they're at, teaches it to them again, explains it all. And then, uh, and then in the act of hospitality, their eyes are open and they recognize him. So. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean, we get the, you know, this is, you know, a reflection of the the beginnings of the institution of communion. Right. Um, And, you know, and the thing that we uh, oftentimes declare in our communion liturgies um, or pray that our eyes will be opened uh, and that we'll recognize the risen Christ. In uh, our midst. Yeah, in our midst, uh, in this meal and in all who, whatever, something. something, Right. right? Well, and in each other, right? And then, and through the Holy Spirit, the, the presence of the risen Christ is there through that meal and in our midst and in each other. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it sort of starts that line of theological thinking that Pastor Damon and I will often repeat, and I won't speak for you, but certainly that I ascribe to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So you think it'll preach? I think it'll preach. All right. Fair enough. Should we switch gears? Let's do that. Okay. What's going on? Well, so uh, this coming Sunday will be the last Sunday in April. We are uh, still on our school year worship schedule, which means we have an 8.30 worship service, contemplative style in the chapel that includes communion, followed by a Sunday school hour at 9.15, followed by um, our more traditional worship service here in the sanctuary at 10.30. And this particular Sunday, uh, April 30th, we will have a potluck. Yes. Following our 1030 worship. Mm-hmm. And so we invite you all to join us for that. Bring a yeah. dish to share. And let's have some food, fun, and fellowship. Let's be playful. There you go. I forgot um, who's supposed to bring what, but folks could check a bulletin or something. Yep. Um, we'll put it up on, on Facebook, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Also, this Sunday, uh, Dan Deffenbaugh will continue. He'll do the second of a three-part series taking a look at post-resurrection narratives, appearances of Jesus. I think he'll be looking at this one in particular. 
Yes. For this coming Sunday? Among others. Last week he covered uh, post-resurrection language in Paul's epistles, as well as in the Gospel of Mark. And this week he's going to cover post-resurrection appearances in Matthew and Luke, and specifically this uh, Road to Emmaus one. Got it. There was a, a slight issue with the audio from the recording of Forum oh, no. this past Sunday. So okay. I'll reach out to Dan and see if we can get him to essentially re-record it okay. um, in some other format. So, um, yeah, I forgot to mute his computer because oh. he beat me to the room yeah. and had already started the Zoom meeting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then I joined on the recording computer and forgot to mute his. So there's this little echo. Um in the recording, which is, it happens for, you know, if it was a two minute video, then fine, just put it up, but <laughs> it's you an know, hour. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So we'll reach out to Dan and see if he can't re-record that yeah. in some manner for us. But So he's going to do his second this week and then the third next week on May 7th. Yes. Which is also Confirmation Sunday. Indeed. Uh, Wednesday night this week is the usual Wednesday night schedule for youth and adults. So uh, the meal and the choir and the bells and everything else in between. So, what else? Um, gosh, I think we've covered a, it. Did I miss the Cathedral Brass concert? That's not till May 21st. May 21st. Okay. Sarah Sutton does mm-hmm. have her organ concert on Sunday night, April 30th okay. at 7.30. That is her senior recital as an organ student at Hastings College. Her instructor for on organ has been our own Linda Volweiler. And so um, if you enjoy good organ music and want to hear a dynamic college student play the organ, come on Sunday at 7.30. Yeah. She's been in rehearsing quite a bit. Sounds a good. A lot, yes. Mm-hmm. And Hastings College... Choir has a concert. That's Sunday, May seventh. That's May seventh in the afternoon. Correct. Here as well. So and then Hastings High has Correct. a choral concert that evening. That same evening. So yeah, the the sanctuary is going to be full on May seventh because we'll have our confirmands and confirmation. Then we'll have a Hastings College concert, and then we'll have a Hastings High School concert. It'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Well, is that it? I think that's it. All right. Closing prayer time. Let's do it. Loving and gracious God, uh, we thank you for the ways that you come to us, for the ways that you are revealed to us, for the ways that we find your presence among us. Um, Thank you for the ways that you surprise us with your presence, uh, for the ways that you call us forth, for the ways that you accompany us on the road as we travel. Help us, O oh God, to, to cling to your path. Help us, O oh God, to live lives that, um, that are worthy of you, to live lives that reflect the calling that we have received, to live lives that are overflowing with love and generosity and hospitality. In your gracious and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, then with all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.